In our relationships with each other, we're called to love, serve, give, bless, and help. And if we're not doing these things, we need to reset our relationships. This message is the fourth in the series, I Will Reset. The message is entitled, Resetting Your Relationships, Part One. Here is Pastor Delo Shields. Grab your Bibles, as I said, your teaching sheets this evening as we turn our attention to this continuing series of messages called I Will Reset. I want, to continue, I want to talk this evening about resetting your relationships. Last weekend, we talked about resetting your emotions for two week, weekends. We talked about that. For two weekends, we will talk about resetting your relationships. We'll then take a little bit of a break uh, between uh, that and the continuation of the series. And James Brown is going to be back with us two weeks from tonight, okay, today. So I uh, look forward to having James back in the house with us. He's always a blessing every year, and uh, we always enjoy having him. You know, when Jesus uh, created you, brought you into his kingdom, and you made a decision to give your life to Christ, as we've talked about in this series, God has a purpose for your life. That purpose is very clearly uh, spoken of in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you have life and have it more abundantly. There's a more abundant life that we have in relationship with Christ. And that more abundant life is not something, again, that happens to us automatically. It's something that we have to learn to cooperate with. There are choices that we make along the way that will put us in position to experience the more abundant life of Christ. And one of the areas that we have to learn how to navigate in our world is the, is the realm of relationships. Because we don't live in this world by ourselves. About almost everything that we do in the world in which we live is affected by the relationships around us, the people that we actually interact with. And as human beings, God actually made us for relationships. He made us, for, first and foremost, a relationship with Him. You can't really exist in terms of being the person God made you to be unless you have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But He also wants you to have meaningful relationships with other people. You might recall that when God had created Adam in the Garden of Eden, He looked at Adam before He had created Eve, and He looked at Adam and said, it's not good for a man to be, what was the word He used? Alone. And so we were created by God for relationship. But the problem is, because of sin and brokenness in our lives, we're not very good at relationships. Do you agree with me that sometimes you blow, blow it in your relationships, right? And so we need them, but we mess them up. We need them, but we don't, have, don't always know how to make them work because of our sin and our brokenness and all of our dysfunction, the past pain and experiences that we've had in life. Many times our relationships really do suffer, and even our best relationships We'll, we'll suffer at some level if we don't learn how to properly maintain them. So it's not just about fixing broken relationships, it's about even maintaining good ones. Because if you don't maintain them, they're not going to be everything that they could and should be. And in the whole realm of resets, we're talking about resetting your life, getting back to the center point, making sure that when you drift away from things, that you learn, know how to reset because part of the choice that you must make in life is to learn how to keep things where they need to be. It's like the rebooting of your computer. You have to learn how to reset your relationships because I promise you there's always a relationship in your life at some point in time that needs to be reset in some way. Right here in this room tonight, no matter, you may have a lot of great relationships, but I would venture to say that there's at least one relationship in your life that could, could benefit from some kind of a reset. That you could do something to actually make it better or get it back on track where it needs to be. And so we're going to talk about some of these relationships tonight. Again, we'll talk this weekend and next weekend about this theme. 
But really, I'm going to share with you one basic thing tonight, okay? And this is going, if you look at your notes, I'll give you the first main points, and then we'll work our way down through some sub-points that really feed into that point. If you're going to reset relationships in your life, and everybody needs to do that on a regular basis, you need to know God's requirements for relationships. If you don't know God's requirements for relationships, God's instructions for relationships, if you don't know God's rules for relationships, then you're going to be left to yourself to try to figure stuff out. And the wonderful thing about the Bible is that the Bible is a book about relationships. This whole book of the Bible teaches us how to relate to God and how to relate to one another. But the problem is we always think that we know better than God, don't we? We have this tendency to say, you know what, I'll figure it out on my own. And so we enter into relationships, we get married, we have kids, we take jobs, we get involved in groups and clubs and activities and things of that nature, and then we just go at it without really knowing how to do these things, okay? Because we haven't taken the time to actually get into the instruction manual and see what God has to say about the best ways to relate to the people around us. And so I'm going to share with you some categories tonight because all relationships are not equal. There are all kind of relationships that happen in life, and all of them are, are, again, they fit different categories, different aspects of life, and so not every relationship is the same, and so you have to learn how to navigate the relationships from the most intimate to the most distant. So I'm going to start with the most distant for a moment, okay, and then we'll work our way back around to the most intimate and then some of the other categories associated with it. Now, the most distant dimension of relationships, Jesus addressed in a parable that many of you are familiar with. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to share that parable with you in just a moment. But to understand this parable, I thought it would be helpful to provide for you. It's found in Luke chapter 10 to give you a little bit of perspective of where this story takes place. And so they're going to put some things on the screen for you. It'll help you to get a perspective. This story of the Good Samaritan happens about a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so if you'll see that Jerusalem is the top uh, section of your screen there to the left-hand side. And Jericho being down at the lower section here, that's about a 14-mile journey. But it's about a 3,000-foot drop in elevation. Think about that. So you're starting at at Jerusalem, and you're going down through the Kidron Valley over the Mount of Olives and heading down into many, uh, many canyons along the way. And so it was a very precipitous environment. It was a very difficult difficult journey. Let's put some of the other pictures up. You'll get just a picture that's part of the Roman, old Roman road that exists actually now on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Go ahead and slide through the other ones there. That's the, think about that. This is where the place takes place. One more I think that we have there. That's the modern highway that runs from Jericho to Jerusalem. In just a couple of weeks, I'll be taking a group of people to Israel. We'll go to these kind of places. But I want you to see that setting Because I think the story will make far more sense to you when you see how precipitous of an environment that Jesus was referring to here. So let's go to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, and I'll read down through verse 37, and we'll see uh, this wonderful story about how to deal with the most general relationships in our life and how to reset them, okay? On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my 
neighbor. So Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so this guy is trying to sort of wiggle out of the situation. He's wanting to make sure that he comes out looking good here. And so he's really actually trying to test Jesus. He's trying to somehow get Jesus to sort of mess up or say something that could be potentially used against him. And so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So you remember the pictures a few moments ago? Jerusalem, very high up, going down the valley, so very precipitous that will happen there. So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, which, by the way, would have been very easy to have happened because this, this terrible terrain, a lot of robbers would hide along the way there, and so it was easy prey when somebody's coming through there to actually, uh, to, to actually ambush them in some way and take their goods from them, beat them up, kill them, murder them, whatever the case might have been. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, the priest would have been coming from the temple in Jerusalem. He was a man that was actually at the pinnacle of spiritual leadership in the community. He was a man that certainly knew the law, taught the law, understood the law. And so here he's coming down in this journey, sees the man that's by the roadside, and he says, I'm going to avoid this situation. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to do anything to help. It was a conscious decision that the priest made to go to the other side of the road. So you don't go to the other side of the road by accident. You go to the other side of the road on purpose. Okay. It's an avoidance thing. Okay. Are you with me here? He was avoiding him. It was an avoidance issue. And so he avoids him as a fellow Jew. And so he's avoiding him. Why? We don't know for sure, but obviously he didn't have the compassion. Maybe he thought the guy was dead, and I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to defile myself by touching a dead body, which was a lousy excuse in and of itself. But what, whatever the case was, the priest said, I'm going to the other side of the road. And so he avoided it. Let's go now in the story back to, chapter, to the same chapter, verse 32. So to a Levite, now a Levite was an assistant to the priest. That's all the Levite was. So the Levite also served in the temple, but the Levite was sort of an assistant pastor, an assistant to the priest, if you will. He also would have known the law very well. He was charged with taking care of the temple, the temple utensils, all the aspects of the temple from a practical standpoint. So this guy should have known what God wanted him to do. But so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by where? on the other side. So in both of these situations, you have what should be godly people avoiding people that they do not want to help. Got it? Now, they should have known better. They knew the law, understood what compassion was all about. Even though they were steeped in the Old Testament law, there's a lot of love in the Old Testament still. Amen? Okay? There's a lot of love for God and love for people in the Old Testament. They should have grasped this. They should have understood it. But they're living in avoidance of their responsibilities, their relationship responsibilities. They're avoiding. This is key. They're avoiding their relationship responsibilities. All right? I know this is the next statement. But a Samaritan, this is so important. Samaritans were considered to be almost like a mixed breed, half Jew, half not Jew, half pagan, half whatever it might have been. So they were totally disreputed in, among the Jewish people. They hated the Samaritans. 
In fact, when you would travel, uh, Samaria is north of Jerusalem. And so when you, and back in those days, if you were to travel from Jerusalem heading toward Galilee, uh, if you were a Jew and a conscientious Jew, you would not even go through the territory of Samaria. You would bypass it and take a longer route to get around because it was a whole bunch of prejudice that existed between the Samaritans and the Jews and the Jews and the Samaritans. Neither of them liked one another. They were living in their own separate worlds. That's why it was so significant. In John chapter 4, when Jesus, the Bible said that he had needs to go through Samaria, and he met the woman at the well there and had a conversation with her. That is so significant by reason of the fact that he would have normally, or Jews would have normally bypassed that territory completely. And so now we have a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where this man was, and when he saw him, what did he do? He took pity on him. He went to him. Notice, what did the other two do? They passed by on the others. They avoided this man approached. See the difference? The, the first two avoided, this man approached. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That would have been the medicinal elements of their day. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that was two days' wages, by the way, and gave, to, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, now he's posing this question back to the man who asked the question, who is my neighbor? And so now Jesus is answering the question with a question after giving a story, okay? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Would you read the rest of it with me? Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. What I want you to see here is I want you to see that at the basic level of relationships in life that we have as God gives us opportunity and as God gives us uh, 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 people that he places in our world. You can't meet every need, by the way. You can't meet every need in life. You're not called to meet every need. But God will put people in your world that you may not have any kind of particular relationship with, but you as a human being, and especially as a follower of Jesus Christ, have a calling to care about your neighbors. Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is anyone that requires your compassion or your care. Okay? Anyone that God places in your world that requires some expression of compassion or some expression of care. Okay? That's what a neighbor is. Now, do the people next door of you deserve some compassion from you, right? Do they deserve some care? Does that person maybe that you encounter on the subway, does that person maybe that God brings along your path uh, uh, in a particular situation where you can provide some kind of help to them, there, there are moments that God will give you. I want to make this very clear. You can't help everybody, okay? You can't go around and be the Messiah of the world. There's only one Messiah, amen? What's his name, okay? His name is Jesus. There's only one Messiah, okay? But God calls us to be his ambassadors in unique situations where he will allow us, he will test us to see, are we, gonna, are we going to approach or are we going to avoid? Okay. Will we approach or will we avoid? And this is the general duty for every follower of Jesus Christ. This is a relationship responsibility. And so maybe the reset in your world tonight is just to be willing to open up your eyes and say, God, I'm willing to show some compassion and care to people that you bring along my path. 
It's amazing, by the way, what impact you can have for the gospel when you show some compassion and care to someone. So this is the general calling. And again, that might be a reset in your own soul that you need tonight. Let me talk to you about some other relationships where the Bible is very clear regarding the instructions that we have. So I'm going to share several of these with you. Actually, I'm going to give you, let's see, how many do I have here? I think I have six of them that I'm going to share with you this evening. Six categories of relationships where coming beyond the general application to the more specific application. Everybody with me tonight, are you? If you are, say amen, all right? Going beyond the general to the more specific, we all have relationship responsibilities with our families. Families are the basic building block of the world. Families are the basic building block of the church. Marriage is the basic building block of the family, okay? Why do you think the devil loves to destroy families? Because the families are the basic building block of society, the basic building block of the church. Why do you think the devil loves to destroy marriages? Because marriages are the basic building block of the family, okay? So if he can destroy a marriage, he's destroying the basic building block of that family. If he can destroy a family, he's destroying the basic building block of the church and of society. And that's why I believe in the culture that we live, there's an all-out diabolical plot against family. That's why we see some of the things that we've seen in the last several years in terms of redefinitions of families and those kind of things that really should concern us as Christians. This is not a political statement. I'm a Bible teacher, okay? So I'm here to share with you what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches us that families are at the core of culture. Families are at the core of the church. Families are at the core of raising generations of people. And so families are vital. You can't destroy families without consequences going along with it. Right? Families are essential. Now, if marriage is the basic building block of families, let's take a look at what God says to us about marriages. Notice Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. This is for all the men here tonight. Are you ready? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself uh, for her. Men, circle that phrase, love. Women, don't reach over and circle it for them, okay? Let them circle it for themselves, all right? The word there is agape. It's a word that we're familiar with. It's a word that has nothing to do with your feelings. It has to do with your action. Remember last weekend I talked about it's easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. Most of us say, well, I will act loving to you when I feel loving you. No, it's easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. So love is an action. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is. Love is. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So love is all about action. So husbands, love your wives. The greatest need of a wife is to be loved. Love coming from a husband builds and strengthens the security of the soul of a woman. Ephesians 5.33. Everyone, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. All the ladies circle that phrase there, respect, okay? Now, men, don't reach over and circle that one for your wife, Okay? So the greatest need of a man, although a man enjoys and appreciates love, but the greatest need of a wife is love. The greatest need of a man is what? Respect, okay? Now, by the way, let me say something just as a quick statement here. If you want love, be lovable, amen? If you want respect, be respectable, okay? So that doesn't take away responsibility from the other side. So if you want love, be lovable. If you want respect, be respectable. But understand that these are instructions given by God. This is the instruction manual, amen? God says, this is the way you do it. Now let's go to Ephesians 6. 
Verses 1 through 4, we're talking about families here. We're talking about resetting relationships. Maybe you and your marriage, you need to reset that relationship. Husband, I need to reset. i got to start loving my wife. i got to get back on track with that. Maybe for a wife here tonight, it's resetting your relationship with your husband by beginning to say, I've got to to amp up this respect thing. I've got to figure out how to do this in relationship to my husband. Let's look now at Ephesians 6.1. Children, so now we're talking about the third element, husband, wife, children. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. So now children are brought into the picture, and what are we told about children? Children are to do what? They're to obey and honor. That's do what they're instructed to do with an honorable spirit, okay? with a sense in which this is valuable to me, honoring father and mother. Okay, by the way, this honoring of your mother and father is something that continues throughout your entire life, okay? That's why we honor mothers on Mother's Day, because we, are, we value their input. We honor what they do, right? Now look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Let me just talk about this for a moment. This whole idea of of not provoking anger. That's in the way that you approach your kids. That's the whole attitude that you use when you bring instruction or discipline to them. And so you're not, you have an understanding, gentle approach to them. But nevertheless, at the same time, you're making sure that your children are receiving discipline and instruction. Say it with me. Discipline and instruction. I'm just going to touch this briefly. This is not meant to be a parenting seminar tonight, but I've got to say this, okay? Parents, your number one job in a loving way in your home is to discipline and instruct your children, okay? Your number one job is not to be your children's friend. I'm going to say that again. Did you hear me? I think I had like an ugh over there somewhere. I'm not sure that was, okay? I'm not against, I'm not saying being unfriendly toward your children, but so many parents today are so afraid of the discipline dimension. And I'm not talking about some kind of harsh or ridiculous discipline or abuse, certainly, absolutely not. But do you know that discipline is good because discipline creates character, okay? The only way character is ever formed is through discipline. How does, a, how does someone that does well at a job or does well in, in, in a sport or does well in any kind of... Uh, any kind of achievement in life. How do they get there? They do it by discipline. So discipline is what creates character. And so when you have no discipline in your home, what happens is you're not forming character in children, okay? And so that's why children have to have discipline and instruction. It needs to be reasonable discipline. And I've done a lot of seminars over the years on parenting and those kind of things. Maybe, uh, how many of you'd like to have a parenting seminar here? Would you, would you benefit from that? Three of you will come. That's great. Okay, we'll do it. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, I'm sure my time would be well spent with all three of you. That's great. Okay. But I want you to see that God, this is not, these are just real, real snippets, quick verses here that bring us back to resetting things in the family. Second of all, leaders. We, we have responsibility to those that are leading us. What is a leader? Someone that's in an appropriate, legitimate, official role of giving direction, making decisions, or exercising authority. That's what a leader is. I'll say that again. If someone's in an appropriate, legitimate, official role of giving direction, making decisions, or exercising authority. That's a leader. Now, what are we to do with leaders? Okay. 
Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, consequently whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And so again, we see that we're to be subject. That's an attitude of respect and honor and proper obedience. All right? Romans 13, verse 7. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority, okay? By the way, I think our schools would be a lot better, by the way, if we, we had students and our parents taught the students how to respect their teachers, amen, okay? How to respect the principal, okay? How to respect this stuff. This is, this is like, these are basic building blocks of our culture that we've lost, okay? Are you with me here? Don't get mad at me, I'm just preaching the Bible, okay? All right? Hebrews 13, verse 7, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Let's talk about teachers. That's your next one. Everybody has some teachers in their world that from time to time. We ought to all be teachable. Amen? I don't care if you're 95, 100 years old. There's still something you need to be learning, right? And the way you learn is through teachers. You can't learn without a teacher, okay? And so what is our response, relationship responsibility to the teachers God will place in our world? Well, a teacher is someone that has this authoritative role in our life for the purpose of instruction, impartation of information, advice, inspiration, or wisdom. Listen to Proverbs 23, verse 12. Pay attention to your teacher. What are we to do? Pay attention to your teacher and do what else? Learn all you can. Let me just sidetrack from, let me tell you one of the greatest joys that I get from time to time. And I, I do a lot of teaching. This is kind of what I am. I'm a teacher. And, um, um, and so you know, I, I teach the scriptures and, and teach the practical principles of God's word. And there's nothing greater for a teacher than when a student, okay, comes up to the teacher and says, I just want to let you know how what you taught me helped me, okay? Or the change that this helped me make in my life. I tell you, any, any teachers in the room tonight? Let me see your teacher. Any teachers that are here? Don't you love it when your, teachers, when your students get it, do you? Okay. There's, no, there's nothing worse for a teacher than to see a student fail, right? You don't want your students to fail. You want your students to succeed, okay? And the whole motivation of a teacher is to not to sort of give bad grades. The whole motivation of a teacher is to try to get every student learning at their highest capacity, okay? And so teachers are gifts of God to your life. Amen? I think we ought to applaud all the teachers here tonight. Don't you think so? Okay? They're gifts, okay? If you're, edu if you're an educator, I applaud you, okay? I'm grateful for you because you're a gift from Almighty God. It's a calling that came from God. And, and when we see these teachers that are brought into our world, we need to value them as gifts given to us by God and pay attention to them and learn. Then there are employer and employee relationships. Employers are primarily what we would think of as job providers, and employees are those who are job executors. And so the employers provide the jobs, the employees execute the jobs, and the Bible talks to us about this. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23 through chapter 4, verse 1. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real masters, talking to employer, employees. Work from the heart for your real master for God, confident that you, you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. 
Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Don't you like that? Okay. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. And masters, talking about the employers, treat your servants considerably. Be fair with them. Don't forget for a minute that you too serve a master, God in heaven. So I want to say this. If you're an employer, what you want to do as an employer is to learn how to apply biblical principles in your job, right? How do I best facilitate an environment, a culture in my business that represents the culture of the kingdom of God? How can I bring the principles of servant leadership and the principles of humility and the principles of love, the principles of care and compassion? How do I bring that into my business? Because I'm now providing jobs, but not just a job, but an atmosphere, a culture that people will work in. And so the job of an employer is to establish the as much as possible the kingdom culture that people will work in and to know that I'm working for God so I have a responsibility to God to do my best to provide that kind of environment for those that work for me. If you're an employee in a, in a position, then you have a responsibility to respond and do your very, very best. I believe this, folks. I really believe this. That where, as an employee, wherever you're employed, wherever your work might be, that as a Christian believer, you ought to be the very best that you can possibly be in that environment. Amen? If you, whatever job you have, you ought to be the best you can be at. Okay? And get into a job where you can excel. Get into a job where you can do well. Get into a job that you're going to be passionate about. And a job that you can put your best efforts into. And if you're, a, if you're a physician, be the best physician you can possibly be. If you're a teacher, be the best teacher. If you're a lawyer, be the best lawyer. If you're a, a whatever worker, what you might be. You say, I'm going to be the best I possibly can be. I'm going to certainly bring my best. Because listen to this. I'm going to teach a whole section on this as a part of the reset. But your work is part of your worship. Okay. Your work is part of your worship. Don't you ever think, oh, I worship on the weekends, but then I go to work. No, you don't, okay? When you go to work, you're going to use your gifts to the glory of God, amen? Whatever God's placed you, because whatever that world, not everybody's called to be in full-time ministry, but if you're called in some other category as a Christian, that workplace becomes your mission field. That workplace becomes the place where you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And so by your work, you're giving witness to how you want to glorify God by and through what you do and who you are. I love Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, because Daniel was, was an employee of the king of both Babylon and Persia, Okay. So he was a government worker, okay? That's what he was, all right? He worked in governments of Babylon and governments of Persia serving the king. Notice what the Bible says about Daniel. Daniel 6, verse 3. Then, then, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because and Say it with me, and excellent spirit, not shoddy, not lazy, but an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. One of the best ways to get promotion is to have an excellent spirit, okay? That's what happened for Daniel. It can happen for you as well. Daniel was a treasured employee. The fifth category is your, your, your friendships. You need some friendships in your life, and friendship if you want to write this down, it may be worth writing down. Actually, it applies to all these categories, but I want to really focus in on friendship with this one. Friendship is a commitment, okay? It's a commitment to another person, okay? And friends vary. You have certain friends who are really close friends and friends that are acquaintances, but in the close friendships of your life, the Bible says something about how we're to handle and reset friendships. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend is what? Always loyal. And a brother is born. 
to help when? In the time of need, okay? A real friend, listen to this, a real friend is a person who walks in when everybody else walks out, okay? That's what a real friend is. A real friend is somebody that walks in when everybody else walks out, okay? Number six, we have a responsibility to fellow believers. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, the moment that you accepted Christ into your life, you were brought into the family of God. You were born again into the family of God. And the Holy Spirit bears witness in your spirit that you're one of God's children. It is wonderful to know that all across the world right now, we have brothers and sisters. Isn't that great? Okay. Did you hear that? You can get on a plane right now and you can fly to, to the far east and get off a plane and meet people in a church there who love Jesus just like you love Jesus, okay? And you'll meet them, and I've had the experience many, many times when I've traveled to different countries to do conferences and seminars and things of that nature. I will get off a plane, and I will be greeted by people that I cannot even speak the same language with, but we immediately have a kindred spirit because we're centered around Jesus Christ, all right? And so you have brothers and sisters all around the world, okay? And we have a responsibility. By the way, one of the terrible things that's happening in our culture, in our world today, the persecution of Christians. It's an understated, underemphasized dimension. But there are fellow believers right now in the Middle East and all around the world that are being persecuted for their faith in Christ. Now, if you were being persecuted, I'm talking about being jailed and beaten and many of them facing the threat of death. If you were undergoing that, would you want somebody to be praying for you? Would you? Okay. So the question becomes, are you praying for them? Okay, so they're, they're our responsibility. They're our family, amen? Okay, and we don't even know them. We don't know their name by name, but we have to be aware of this stuff and pray for our extended family all around the world. But then you're in a church family, okay? That's our church family. So we have brothers and sisters here. One of the things I love about our church family is that we've got family from everywhere. Uh, I've been quoting for a number of years now that we had 85 different nations in our church, but I, I think the, the probably, I was told recently, it's probably closer to over 90 nations in our church. Think about it. Isn't that incredible? Over 90 different nations represented in our church. But the beautiful thing is that we come together, not under the banner of our diversity. We are diverse, but we come, on, come together under the banner of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay? And he is the one that takes people who would by nature be segregated into their own cultural environments, okay? And he's able to bring them together because the Bible says that when we all get before the throne, every tongue and every tribe and every nation will proclaim that Jesus is Lord. I'm glad we get to practice that here, aren't you, okay? I'm glad that every Sunday, every weekend that we come together, we get to have some of the heaven right here on earth, right? Okay? Why don't you turn to that person beside you and say, I appreciate you. Go and tell them I appreciate you, okay? Okay? glad you're in the family, okay? Come on, tell some. I'm glad you're in the family, okay? Glad you're in the family, okay? Awesome, okay? But this is our job, okay? This is our responsibility. So we're talking about resetting relationships, right? Okay? With me here? I'm going to wrap up soon. Another couple hours, I'll be done. I promise you, okay? But listen, Romans 12, 9 and 10. Why don't, why don't we read this together? Why don't you read it with me? The microphone's giving me fits tonight. I'm not sure why, but let's read together. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. 
love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Let me just encourage you that when you come to church, you know, from the parking lot to the pew to the exit, okay? And when you gather in small groups, we have life groups here. Life groups are small groups of people that get together for prayer and encouragement. They usually will take my weekend message and review it together in a small group environment and pray for one another. It's called a life group. And then we have serving groups where people get together and serve in some category. So you want to encourage you to get involved in these areas. Starting point is the class that helps you to get plugged into those areas if you're not uh, plugged in. So you can attend that class tomorrow. It's called Starting Point. What I want to encourage you to do, to, to come to church and come to those church activities with the mindset of saying, I want to I honor somebody today, amen, okay? Don't worry about what parking space you got out there, amen, okay? And don't wor- but don't worry about how fast you're getting in and how quickly you're getting out, okay? You know, sometimes I get a few little reports. I know these are people that just happen to be visiting our church, okay? There's not, there's not any of you here, okay? Okay. Uh, just some stuff that happens in the parking lot. It's like, did that happen at our church? You're kidding me, okay? And like I said, not any of you, okay? I promise you, it's the people that just, you know, other people, okay? But what I want you to say is that we live, it's a, it's a mindset. Are you with me here, okay? That when I show up, here's my family. I'm going to honor you, okay? I'm here to embrace you. I'm here to love on you and connect with you and just spend a little extra time. Let me tell you, when the last amen is done, you don't have to run to your car. We're not stealing cars in the parking lot, okay? okay. You don't have to run there, okay? You, you can hang around for a few minutes, okay? And ask somebody, how you doing? How you really doing? Can I pray with you about something? So because church is not just a place you go, it's, it's a community you belong to, okay? And so let me encourage you to engage that process. Maybe a little reset for you in your life that says, you know what, this is valuable. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Amen? So put a really big comma right there because we're going to continue next week talking about resetting relationships. Would you bow together with me in prayer tonight? Lord, this evening we're so grateful that we've been able to just take a little bit of time and Think about, reflect on the scriptures related to relationships. Lord, we know that for all of us, we need to reset them. And the first place to reset is to know what you've told us about them, to understand your instructions, your rules. And Father, we know that you give us instructions and rules for, the, for a good reason, Lord, because that's just the way that we work best. It's how you made us. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help this message to find resonance deep in our heart. I pray that we would be able to apply it. We ask you to forgive us where we've messed up. Lord, thank you for your grace that brings us back to a reset this evening and help us to get started back again in the right pathway in all the relationships of our life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, 
God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.